podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. They might talk about human music, film, books, football and box sets, exercise and maybe even food. Trivia and sport, politics and health, sometimes well-being too. On the life with Brian. On the life with Brian. Here we are again. Welcome to Life with Brian from me, Mark. Uh, of course, I've got Chucky with us. Uh, hello, Chucky. How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much, sir. Good. Uh, Matthew's obviously here as always. Hello to you too, Matthew. All okay with you? I'm here, yes. All good, thanks. Good to see everybody. Uh, and we've got another special guest. Uh, this week, it is a singer, songwriter and musician about whom was once said that he has written some of the best love songs of the rock and roll era. You may dispute this, but I'm right and you're wrong by none other than John Peel. And who are we to argue? Um, welcome to David Gedge of The Wedding Present. How are you, David? Very well, thank you for inviting me. Um, that must be uh, quite a feather in the cap to have uh, John Peel as your champion. <clears throat> it was, yeah. I remember we, because uh, I heard him say it on the radio, uh, and uh, I thought, wow, that, that, is, that is pretty, you know, I'm obviously very flattered by that. And then a couple of years later, we were doing a, a radio advert, because I had another band called Cinerama as well as one person. And we were doing an advert for, for an album. And they said, have you got any quotes by famous people about, about you or the band? And I said, actually, I have. And uh, I told them that one. And they said, well, we can't actually use it unless it's verified somehow. So I, I, had, to go, I had to contact John Peel's office, his, his producer, and say, a couple of years ago, John Peel said this about me on the radio. Can you get him to write that in a fax and sign it? Because it was faxes in the 90s. And send it back to me and then I can use it as, a, as proof. And they went, yeah, sure, we'll do that. So that, that was a weird conversation to have. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've got the fax somewhere down there, which I've, I've kept. And, the, and you've not got it framed? I, I, I should get it framed. I don't know why I haven't. Because it's, it's just in my drawer down there. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, did, did you do that uh, for nothing? Well, yeah, because he was just verifying that he'd said it, really, I guess. Oh, so it didn't require a fee. <laughs> I can imagine well, there's, a, there's an industry now for certain things like that, you know? Yeah, there, there is. The, I know, because yeah. of the internet, you know, yeah. you could be wishing several people a happy birthday or happy anniversary at the moment and making a considerable amount of money because um, the number of people that follow you. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike you had to pay George Best five hundred pounds, though, wasn't it? In the, we had to pay five, in the day. Oh, you had to pay somebody five hundred pounds. You don't know what? No, we had to pay, we had to pay George Best's agent, presumably. I think. Yeah, wasn't it? Because uh, yeah, I mean, the difference there was that people knew who we were. <laughs> I don't think George Best did. So, as far as he was concerned, it was just a case of uh, there's there's a bunch of lads who've they've named their LP after you. <clears throat> Do you want to be on this photo se photograph session? Anyway, I guess he said, well, you know. I don't know anything about them. I don't know, you know, why I would do that, but it's an appearance fee thing, isn't it? I suppose you, know, you get paid for your time, really. And you're uh, good, just good reading to that. I know fair to talking about George being so iconic in the in the sixties, Manchester United being your team. Can you remember your first experience of or why you, you, when United became your team? I know you you were born in Leeds, but you were you moved to Manchester at a very early age. Yeah, it, was it? Did somebody take to a game or did you see something on the television at you know, the time? Or? It's weird because people have asked me that a few times and I, I can't actually remember. I can't actually physically remember when I decided I was going to be a United fan. I, I, I just, I've, I've no memory. It's like one of those things, it's almost like I've always, I've always been a United fan and I've, I can't, you know, it's like I've always, you know, I've always been in a band in, in some way. I never decided I'm going to be a musician. It's like those two things of both just, appeared somehow and uh, I've just I've just gone with it really but yeah I, I grew up in Manchester from 1963 until I went back to Leeds actually to university and uh and he so he was the the you know the the player of of that of that era really uh, you know 60s and 70s like you say but also he kind of appealed to me more because it you know obviously he was this fantastic footballer but also because of his you know the fact that he always had the long hair and his, his shirt was never tucked in, and he was he was always you know getting 
you know, uh, told off for not being at practices because he he was out with Miss Will the night before, or you know, hanging out with the Beatles or something. And obviously, as a kid, as a kid, that that sounds great. You know, he, it's almost like a pop star who's also a footballer. And uh, I just thought that was, you know, really inspiring. And then we saw the photograph. I saw the photograph that we ended up using on the cover. We went to a photo, a sports photographic agency actually, and we just saw that cover and thought, yeah, God, oh yeah, we've got to use that. That's so iconic. And uh, yes, yeah, so I called the OP George Best. Really, did you yeah, have no. a, did you have a selection of pictures, David? Did, I mean, was there a selection that you went through, or was it yeah, just you saw that one and you thought, no, that's that's the one for us? Yeah, we went to this agency and we said, you know, because I did want to call the LP George Best. I was thinking about calling George Best, you know, because I, I, you know, just I kind of like the name George Best as well for an LP title. I thought it sounded great. So we went to the sports agency and they said, well, we, you know, his his, you know, and they showed the whole book a folder full of photographs of him and then we just saw that one uh i think it was from 1974 against leicester or something somebody told me. and we just said yeah but that's that's brilliant you know how much do we have to pay kind of thing and uh so we use that yeah do you follow the fortunes and misfortunes of manchester united to the present day i have yeah i mean i i wasn't qu- quite a big follower when when you were there actually because that was of course of- i was there <laughs> <laughs> Well, I bet you held the record for the most, <laughs> most of the goals since George Best, didn't you? When you first went there, you know, it was the second season or something. Yeah, the first season I did yeah. something there that, that George had done. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the only that's the only thing that's uh, uh, similar. But that comes. I've missed out on all those other activities. You know, I've never <laughs> done. I've never had an album that cover. Was, I've not had an album named after me. You know. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Like no, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose, yeah. So, uh, yeah. That was, was that about 987 or something, wasn't it? 87, yeah, my first game. That's exactly yeah. when our OP came out. So yeah, I know. At, yeah. that, at that time, we were. I was, I was very busy yeah, learning how to be a, a pop icon, really. So, yeah I, I, yeah, I didn't really follow it as much as I'd done previously or subsequently, I suppose. Yeah, but that was that was what your, your passion was, because... Um, I've read several times that at some point you knew that you were going to be involved in the music industry, be it what you're doing now or what you've done for a long time, uh, or yeah. uh, in some other facet of it. You mentioned um, DJing, which I think you did a little bit of as well as at some point. Yeah, it's kind of one of the, uh, like, like I was saying before, you know, it's got, you know, I didn't decide to do it. It was almost like it was pre, yeah. predestined. And uh, I've, you know, I've been lucky enough that. I've managed to be in a group, but if I hadn't, yeah, I would have probably tried to be a writer or a DJ or something, you know, a promoter or something. You know, and I was just really obsessed with with with. Can band. you remember? A, can you remember an exact moment, or were you watching something? You listening to something? I can remember when I decided I wanted to become a professional football player. But can you? Is there a moment that you were you were listening to something, or you saw? I mean, no, that's of, what I mean. No, no there wasn't. You know, nothing. There just, it's just it's just always been there. Always, you know, played my parents' records. Uh, used to have a lot of singles and stuff. And I used to watch every program on TV that was about music, Top of the Pops, and then later on the Ogre was test and all that stuff. And then I discovered John Peel, so I listened to that religiously. I used to read every music paper. You know, I was just obsessed with it, really. I still am, to be honest with you. Uh, so, yeah, it was kind of inevitable that I was going to be doing something. Well, that might explain why I wasn't a, a musician because uh, my parents had uh, um, the uh, what sort of things did they have? They didn't have very many things. In fact, we don't. I don't know why they had records because we didn't have a, a record player. But one of the records I remember lying about was South Pacific, you know. So mm. such classics as that. So I don't know what kind of. I don't know where they came from or why they were. It wasn't until I kept very well encouraging my parents to buy me a. Um, record player in the early 70s they had something to play these on uh, and they weren't as bad as not as bad as you well you wouldn't probably go out and buy them but they weren't that bad as um, was evident in the hit single that Captain Sensible had that came from that album oh, yeah. you, I think your um, your stuff was a lot to do with records from the 50s and the, and the yeah, 80s and the early days I think exactly yeah they had a lot of uh... A lot of, I mean, just singles, really. They had loads of singles, and you know. And again, you know, I mean, 
like you say, they never used to play them. <laughs> it was no, my parents didn't play them because there's nothing to play them on. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I used to play their singles on, on their record player. I think, yeah, but uh, I think it was from probably their teenage years. They were in the fifties, and then when they were early, early on in their marriage, they, they probably carried on buying singles, and then it kind of ended about. I don't know, 1963 or four or something because they had, they had the early Beatles singles and that was it really, and then and then they they had LPs as well. My dad used to like country music and uh, my mum was a big Tom Jones fan, so there was yeah, there was always kind of stuff to play really. And then obviously I started buying my own records as well. You're uh, going out on the road next week, going to Edinburgh, then Manchester. Uh, Nottingham, where you're going to be playing, which I would consider a lot of iconic venues, the Liquid Rooms, the Ritz. Um, do you choose where you, you you know, in a situation where you can choose where you want to play or say no to to a certain venue? If you can, you just choose or yeah, yeah, more, you can decide. Then uh, Sophie, they said that how it works. So, usually, I say you know we want to play a tour or we want to do a series of concerts and uh, and our agent will kind of find out what's available and I, you know i've been doing it long enough now that i know you know which you know, which are the good places and which are the not so good places uh so I, yeah you know he'll make suggestions and i'll you know it, a lot of it will be routing because obviously you don't want to play dover and then the next day liverpool you know so it'll be you know finding appropriate venues appropriate size venues uh on the route really but uh i love doing it you know it's, it appeals to my uh mathematical nature i think putting it all together like that. You, which you, brings me to a question actually because didn't you do mathematics i did uh, you've got a degree in mathematics haven't you yeah, yeah so when did you do that did you do that i was doing it i was doing it at university part-time um in the 80, early 80s beginning, beginning of the 80s right. and then uh, and then i was playing part-time for Mullerwell. And I was at, well, yeah, I was at full-time university and part-time with Mullerville. And I started to do a little bit better at, at football than I was um, at my um, studies. So Why did you choose to do mathematics? That's what people... Well, I loved it. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, that, uh, the same as anything else, I, you know, if you ask anyone the sort of things that they loved at school uh, and what they didn't like at school, it's always the same answer. That you had an inspirational teacher an inspirational coach, whatever way you went look at it. Mm-hmm. And I had, I had people, and, and I liked it, just the way my, I think my brain works, suits solving puzzles in that in that kind of yeah. logis- logical kind of way. Uh, and, I, and I loved doing that. And when I went to university, I actually got, I got kind of conned because I wanted to do mathematics and I wanted to do either physics or chemistry as well. Uh, and then I wanted to do another subject that was not easier, but something that was more complementary, like, statistics or something like that was I eventually did a bit of that uh, but I, I, the, my um, interview when I went to university was with the chemist so she persuaded me that I should do chemistry as well as physics and maths yeah. which was just nonsense really you know I, I couldn't I mean I, I'd been out of education for a year because I'd gone to Aston Villa to, to for a year's full-time football so with, with that even in that year that the physics stuff was just I could not get and mm. the chemistry was actually ended up being the easiest part of the of what I was doing but then I went on to to do statistics and the statistic thing for me was again inspirational in that every single lecture in mathematics wore I don't know if it was the same for you time at Leeds but in Glasgow University they all wore a suit mm. with a with a waistcoat and a tie and were all kind of tight really or, or uptight or whatever the uh, statistics uh, lecture on my first uh, day came in and he had a big woolen jumper on with a gigantic hole in the sleeve <laughs> and they said um, I just want to tell you about statistics hopefully you'll enjoy this, that's my intention that you should enjoy it, but let me tell you about statistics, statistics are like a loose woman, once you get your hands on them, you can do anything you want with them <laughs> I thought I'm going to like this <laughs> it's included you... sitting in the pub one day counting the traffic I thought that, you can't get a better thing than this I mean you... Nobody else is ever taking outside the lecture theatre and he's insisting you go and count the traffic, you know. And you've modelled yourself on that guy ever since, some people could argue. <laughs> I probably, yeah. But one of the things I wanted to say about that, you're just talking about that, because I know you were encouraged to, because you, you always did well at school, or you worked hard at school and you got to, you know, oh, you went to university. It's funny you say about, you know, like uh, having a certain teacher will will influence that. And, and certainly, I, 
and my maths teacher at school was great. But it was more for me that I remember, you know, like people used to dread maths. You know, my mates would go, oh my God, it's double maths now. I just don't, yeah, I don't understand it. You know, it's a nightmare. And I, I'd be like, I see, I, I think it's quite simple. Uh, I've never had a problem, you know, you know, I was getting A's all the time in the in the MOCO levels and the A levels and whatever. And I, and I never struggled with it. And I, it was always really obvious to me. So I just thought, I mean, I mean, to be honest, one of the main reasons I did mathematics at university is, is I thought, you know, I've obviously got some kind of gift for this. So I'll go to university, it'll be dead easy. I'll have plenty of time to be in a band. Unfortunately, when I got to university, it wasn't that easy, as, as, you know, as you know. And it was suddenly uh, you're with a lot of people who, who are similarly talented at mathematics and the work goes up. You're not just a level, but a load of levels. And you, it, it got quite boring, to be honest, quite difficult. I mean, I finished it in the end just because I was, I thought, well, I'm here now. I might as well finish it because I've got something to fall back on if the musical career doesn't, uh, you know, uh, pan out the way I wanted it to. But uh it, it, as a retrospect now, I wish I'd done a more interesting degree, maybe maybe French or something. You've gone to France for a year or something. But <laughs> Well, it didn't do you any harm, does it? But like, the same kind of thing for me is that, that that's a bit of a, really of no benefit, apart from when the, the kids started bringing in more complicated maths and physics from school. Um, I One of the things about yourself is that you've always been encouraged to, same as me, I mean, I always wanted to play football when I played football all the time. My parents wanted to keep giving me being realistic in, in that, that that it was a difficult thing to become a professional football player. Mm-hmm. I just was very close to this idea. You know, I was this is what I was going to do. Yeah. But my parents kept saying to me all the time, "Well, you could break your leg," you know, encouraging me. You know that you know you've got to have something behind back to back off and all that kind of thing. And then you talk about having situations do a work. I worked. I've only ever worked once. And I, I did, I worked for seven weeks in a supermarket and I, I stacked the shelves in a, in a back shift from like when the shop shut from about seven till maybe one in the morning. And that's my only ever experience of work. Have you had any similar experiences of work? I have, yeah. I mean, my dad used to be a, a butcher and uh, he used to work in a factory in, in Manchester. So I... He got me on. He got me there as a labourer, holiday relief in the summer, which I absolutely hated. But it was quite well paid, actually, and uh, earned me a little bit of money, which I then used to buy musical equipment. But uh, no, it was dreadful. And then when I was after I left university, in between the university ending and and the band taking off, there was a couple of years where I was on the dole, and I got one of those. Uh, I don't know if they still do it. I'm sure they do, but you know they come and say, you know, you have to take this job, otherwise your doll's going to get stopped. So for a couple few weeks, I was working at a, a catalogue dispatching uh, uh, company, uh, electrical components or something. So, so, so they're really the only two jobs, like proper jobs I've had. Talking about having your own money, where did you get the money to buy uh, you sexy thing, your first single, and where did you buy it? Probably pocket money, I imagine, because singles are only about 50 pence in those days. Yeah, I bought it in WH uh, Smith's in uh, the Arndale Centre in Middleton, in Manchester. And then did you run home and just play it continuously? Yeah. That's what you did with records in those days, wasn't it? It's all, yeah. it's all changed now. <laughs> you know, you, then you heard a song on the radio, you thought, that's a great song, I want to own it. So you run down to the shop and you come back with this piece of plastic which which then you go through this ritual of putting a record playing playing now you just get it on your phone or you know your laptop or something so it's all i think some of the romance has probably disappeared out of it and did you ever lift the needle off and move it back to try and work out what the lyrics were did you write the lyrics down or did you do that with any subsequent tunes or records or albums i'm sure i tried to get lyrics off records yeah but then there was uh, wasn't it yeah. smash it who used to do the lyrics as well yeah there's do you still keep your or do you have a, any kind of vast collections i know brian you've got quite an impressive collection we've had pat nevin on the show and he's got a equally vast vinyl collection is it something that means a lot to you david or is it i did have but uh sh- shamefully actually i got rid of it all because uh i've lived in the united states of america uh on two separate occasions for a year or two and uh 
it was just a case of get, I, I had like a load of like a wall full of shelves of vinyl. Uh, and then it was a case of putting all that in storage, going to live in America, coming back, getting out of storage. So putting it back on the shelves alphabetically and then going to America again. So getting it off, put it back in. And I just thought, this is stupid. You know, I'm not even playing these records because I've got an iPod now, but I'm just I'm just putting them in storage and getting them out again. So yes, I sold them all really. And I, I kind of regret it now because uh, obviously it'd be nice to have a big vinyl collection, but that's probably, I'm not sure I would still play it even, you know. You can always start again. And people have been doing, haven't they? I, I mean, uh, vinyl is is back in force now, as we found, because, we, because we're doing this uh, singles thing next year where we're a single every 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 month. And and there's no vinyl uh, production. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah, all the all the, the factories closed down. I think after in the eighties because vinyl obviously died and people buying CDs and stuff. And then I don't think anybody wants to start a vinyl factory in case it's just a fashion. So there's like a limited number of pressing plants, and and so if you want to get a single press now, you, you you're being quoted like, like it's going to be seven months or something. So uh, yeah, so you get, to a- get one. Yeah, just that's just one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so technically a bit difficult, but uh, people, you know, we used to sell a lot of vinyl, and then it died off, and people wanted CDs. And now, if we go on tour, we have a box of CDs, and a box of vinyl. Nobody's interested in CDs anymore. That they want the vinyl. You know, even if they bought the record thirty years ago, they want it again on on the new vinyl. You know, because it's it it, worn out or something. No, because it, when when I first started buying records. So- would be, would be just after you, but from seventy eight onwards, there it was uh, because of the um, the oil situation in the world. There wasn't the right. There was it was too expensive to make the records that they made in the fifties and sixties. So the vinyl that you bought then wasn't crap, really. You know. Oh and really? So, yeah. So that that's why they turn around and say now on a lots of different things. Uh, they you, they they mention the. The actual thickness or the the yeah, or yeah, the, yeah. the vinyl that it's on can't remember exactly what it is. Hundred next grams. And yeah, all. that's it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whereas when I first did, it was um, probably newer as well, a bit more flimsy. Yeah, that is true. I, I, I do remember. Yeah, because I did. I did keep a few of those old records, old LPs, and uh, yeah, they, yeah, they do feel a bit thin. I didn't know that. That's. Uh, yeah, I'm full of all sorts of shit about all sorts of stuff. You know, it's just not, <laughs> and that was. That was the reasons why. Is that the see when you um you write a song right hard, fast, and beautiful, hmm. right? Which I think is an incredible song. And do you get people that are close to you asking, or whether it's uh, in the past or the present, asking, uh, "Is that about me? Is that yeah, how they, you feel yeah, about me? Yeah, yeah, they, they they do. Is that is that a problem? Uh, I mean. It can be occasionally because obviously you know, my style has always been very personal. You know, I, you know, by and large, kind of drawn from my own experiences because because I, I think that's the best way I can write. And you know, the, you know, the songs I'm, the lyrics I've been most kind of proud of and happy with, are, you know, the ones where it's been a situation that's happened to me. But uh, yeah, so, so it can be a bit uncomfortable. It's like showing somebody a diary almost, really, and then they go, "No, that was me." But then weirdly you know people do get it wrong you know people people say oh that's about me that song isn't it and I go actually no it wasn't that one <laughs> but this one is, you know, it's, I think I think maybe I managed I've got, I've got a less flattering one about you exactly yeah so maybe I managed to, to quote them in like, enough kind of you know because obviously it, it's not exactly as it happens it'll be it's got a rhyme and it's got a scan and all the rest of it so I might I'll, I'll change certain elements of it Maybe it disguises it enough that, that people don't really exactly realise. But then there are a few really obvious ones where people will be. And, and to be honest with you, even if it is kind of less flattering, yeah, I don't think people mind. I, you know, I think I think people feel kind of quite touched that they're immortalised in a song or something, or, or that, that they've had such an effect on me that I've actually decided been inspired to to write a lyric about them. So I've never had a real problem about it. I've never had people say, "Oh, I can't believe you've written." that song about me and you know and it's terrible but i've never had that so, so i was far. thinking more about the lyrics and the intent that was that rather than rather than the melody yeah well that's what i mean yeah with the, yeah with the lyrics yeah but uh 
yeah, yeah, touch wood, no one's ever kind of complained to me. Why do you wish you'd have written, if this is correct, Monday morning, 519? Uh, I just thought it was a, it was kind of like one of my songs that I hadn't written. <laughs> that was actually... Yeah, which leads me to, could you empathise and be, uh, was there a certain sentiment to the lyrics? Yeah, certainly. It, it was definitely... Uh, Did you see yourself there? I see uh, myself or have there. You see, yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of a good lyric, I think, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. You know, there's obviously certain writers who, who will use metaphor and poetry and stuff, but but my lyrics are little stories, and, and I want people to see themselves in that story and in the same way that, you know, it could have happened to them, or it has happened to them, and I'm just kind of reminding them of it. And and I think that that, that song, you know, it... It, it felt like I was watching a film. You know, could almost kind of visualise the, the story happening. And it's such a great tune and great arrangement and great sound as well. So it was, uh, yeah, it's one of my favourite uh, songs of all time now. And uh, they didn't quite, they didn't quite make it, did they, Alto? No, they didn't. Yeah, surprisingly. Yeah, I'm surprised when I, yeah. um, I'd heard the song. I listened to it again today, but it just, it did uh, occur to me that it was very much like the sentiment that you're, very much attached to in your song right and, mm. just, and the sound as well it kind of from memory there's strings and stuff on it isn't they which was kind of uh you know, my other band Cinerama was kind of based on that kind of filmic sound as well with the strings and the, the orchestra yeah that was to do with is that end to do with um John Barry yeah partly yeah I think you know like growing up I, I used to always love those John Barry soundtracks the Eddie Morricone the spaghetti western ones as well and uh, after a few years of doing the wedding present, I decided that I'd like to do something else that was kind of maybe based on on, on those kind of uh, songwriters, really. So uh, I decided to do another band for a while. David, uh, you're out on the road with the wedding presents doing a... 30th anniversary tour of your 1991 album Sea Monsters um, this month. Um, I know you've done previously done similar anniversary tours for the George Best album. So was was this just the obvious follow on from that, or, or was there any other motivation for revisiting and re-airing this album? Uh, it was partly because it was the 30th anniversary, so it seemed like an obvious time to do it. But you know, we have done it before, actually. But uh, but more than that, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, this this album, Sea Monsters, kind of lends itself to this format in a way, because because it's got a certain sound to it, and a certain, you know I don't really say this about all the other Wedding Present records, but but Sea Monsters has this certain feel to it, and uh, I don't know how to explain it really because when we wrote it, we just had a, you know, a bunch of songs and went went away and recorded them, but but the finished kind of product just it sounds like almost it sounds a bit pretentious, but it sounds like one piece of music divided into 10 tracks and it's you know, that's where we play it live as well we actually join it all together now uh because when i used to chat between the songs it, it didn't sound right because it kind of broke the mood a bit or something so it, it's become this one thing you know what like it's almost like one song you know as i say uh and it just it just works really well live so it's very i find it very emotional actually to, to do that one it's not like you've just played a bunch of songs it's actually uh, like an experience well, I mean, you, you said about it being emotional. I was going to ask you, uh, what memories does playing this album again invoke? I mean, I suppose suppose you not only have to practice the songs again, but you probably have to look at, back at each one as like snapshots in an old photo album. And, and, you know, you kind of remember what you were doing and, you know, where you were in your life at each individual stage of, of these songs as you went through them. Yeah, it's quite nostalgic, really. It's, it, you know, like I say, it's... It, you know, writing a song is a bit like writing a diary. So it's like looking at a diary from, diary from 30 years ago. And obviously people change. So I've changed quite a bit. You know, I know totally different people. You know, the whole band's changed, obviously, since since then, apart from me. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, I'm singing these songs, hearing this music, and I'm, it, it puts me straight back there, straight away. I don't, have to, I don't have to kind of think about it. I'm just straight away. I can remember, you know, where I was when I recorded this or even wrote it kind of thing. Uh, what is interesting though is the way that obviously with a different lineup they interpret it slightly differently because everyone's got their own styles and stuff. So that's quite interesting as well. You know, we you know, we'll want to play it as close to the original as 
as possible, but then like a, a different guitarist or a different drummer or whatever will just slightly change things. And uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see where it goes, you know, off this path. You know, you've got this road, but it just veers over here and then veers back over here because it's different people doing it and they've got a different interpretation of it. So I love it. You know, I love doing it. And um, as well as the tour, uh, you've had a new album out this year, uh, Lockdown and Stripped Back. Uh, and as you mentioned earlier, you're going to be releasing a new seven-inch final single every month in 2022. Um, tell us about the album and also, the, the again, the, the where did the idea come from for this this one single per month um, for, for 2022? Well, the Lockdown album, album was because we... Because I do my own festival here in Brighton, actually, every year now. And it's just it's a little... Like a like a weekend thing where you know bands I like and you know friends us to play, and obviously we haven't done it for the last couple of years because of the pandemic. So on the first year it was missed, we decided to do an online version. So we obviously it was during lockdown, so we decided to all record at home acoustically, and then send send these files around, and then eventually someone would kind of edit it together, and it, it worked really well. Actually, it was an interesting way of you know it's like an approach we wouldn't have necessarily thought about doing because of the conditions we were pushed down this kind of route and uh so we did it for the festival in the august and then people said oh you've got to release this it's, it's you know you know i want it on an album so we decided to get it you know properly mastered and released and, and we did another one as well we've actually which is in production now that like a volume two of it because it was very popular uh so that was that so we did that little kind of lot it's it's just basically acoustic versions of, of old wedding present songs, really, and Cinerama. And then, uh, so yeah, 30 years ago, in 1992, we did a single every month it's called The Hit Parade. We did a 70 single every month. And again, I was, I suppose, inspired by this year being the 30th anniversary of Seamonts, as I was thinking, maybe we should do something to commemorate the 30th anniversary of The Hit Parade. But then I thought, I didn't want to do it again, exactly, because it, you know, like Hit Parade Part 2 or whatever, it didn't, didn't appeal to me. So so we just thought we'd do something which was similar but different, really. It's kind of a nod to that idea in that it's a series of seven singles, uh, which we obviously we started doing there. We're kind of recording them and mixing them for next year. Uh, but yeah, so the, the single every month we're built into a, an attractive series. <laughs> and, those, uh, and those 12 hits you had, yeah. Uh, put you alongside Elvis Presley as the most hits in a calendar year when they did have proper charts that involved selling records. Um, yeah, I think we, because uh, he had 12 hits in that year as well, but some of him, uh, some of his were re releases actually. So I could have just put <laughs> <couldn't laughs> it out. So um, you're yeah. it on your own. <laughs> you want yep. <laughs> better get on better get on is uh, clear that one up you know like, yeah, they're the, not allowed you know? <laughs> his book of it singles there i'm sure he sold a few a few more than we did but uh, maybe we not original uh, original singles and hits that year but uh, and, they're, yeah, and they're, they're all going to be on vinyl i believe no no they're all vinyl these yeah, 12 singles, 24 yeah, songs. 12 singles. Same as 30 years ago, just vinyl, seven-inch singles. Uh, that, that is one of the things that's exactly the same. And we're not even doing download codes because it, it's just too complicated. So you can, I mean, you can hear them on Spotify or whatever, or Apple Music or other things, but we just thought for the, the actual physical release, it will just be a seven-inch single like it was last time. But they won't be hits this time, because <laughs> I can tell you that for a fact, because... Because last time, you know, they were only available in the shops, so people would go to the record shop and buy buy the seven single. But because we we've got, so we say, a slightly older audience now, we didn't feel like it was, you know, we, everyone didn't want to be queuing up outside their local <laughs> HMV for the for the on the Monday morning for or the Friday morning for the records to come out. Uh, so we decided to do a, a mail order version as well, so you can subscribe for the whole year and get them by mail order. And that, and that doesn't qualify for chart positions. So, so yeah, we've lost out this time. No hits on this one. Unless we get a million streams on Spotify. That's where you get hits now, isn't it? I think you get streams. I don't know. I don't really understand how it works now, you know. So, um, I stopped stop listening to the uh, nowadays, stuff a long time ago. Because so. nowadays you can get Ed Sheeran and, like, he puts an album out and like, all the tracks will be in the top 20 because... Yeah, because of the... 
but they're all being screened. So it's a bit of a strange situation, isn't it? Life with Brian. Life with Brian. We can't have you on, David, without asking a question. I don't know whether you wanted to ask this one, Brian, but I'll uh, ask it. Um, it appears there's two people around this table, and it's not me and it's not Mark, that once received postcards from Morrissey. True or false? <laughs> well, yeah, I did receive a couple of postcards from Morrissey. Oh, did you? Yeah, I, I would like to still have them, but they went, they went missing during that oh. flitting. What did he say? At some point, you know. What did he say on yours? Then? Oh, I mean, it's, as far as I remember, complimentary about um, something to do with football, but um, it. it but but uh, in the in the typical kind of Morrissey off of the ball mm. kind of way, you know, more poetic rather than in little scribbles and dots. It, it, I would really like to have. I'd like to have so little scribbles and things like that on it as well. You know, so. So did he send these to to you care, care of Manchester United? Or yeah, did, just did he know where you lived. No, well, no, I didn't. No, no, I wasn't skulking it wasn't, around. It wasn't like the internet where you could find out where people <laughs> live. No. <laughs> No, I just sent them and I, I replied back to it. Because you, you're sceptical, aren't you? I mean, like, like that, that thing about when you're asking about, or the, or the company are asking for evidence that it, John Peel did exactly say this, you're like, ah, this is, could be some kind of just crank that's right into you, you know? And then I wrote back. Uh, but, the, but the address was in Bowdoin, which I, which I know he did have an address in, in Bowdoin and Altrium, you know? So mm. I wrote, and, and he wrote back, and then and there's... there's we just the romance just fizzled out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, the reason I asked David is because um, I saw a story in the in the press a few months back about how the, there was talk of you receiving postcards from Morrissey or some kind of interaction between the two of you, and uh, it was debatable to say the least. Well, well that's it. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that that that, uh, that, that Brian said that because you know I I, I did question the the uh, you know the uh, the authenticity of, of, of my postcard because it because basically the story is what was it now uh was it something to do with you being in the american embassy or something and that, that's that was not, a different time that was a different was time. yeah this was earlier i think you did say something in 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 the enemy or something which was a criticism of me or the band or something and i can't remember if i reacted to that and then uh but then i got this postcard per, perfectly you know from morrissey saying you know, sorry for uh, slagging you off in the, in the newspapers. That's what we do as pop stars, kind of thing. Again, written in a kind of flamboyant. And he has very distinctive handwriting, doesn't he? Yeah. That yeah. Kind of weird spider yeah, scroll. Yeah, yeah. And I had a friend who who was a big Smiths fan, and she said, "Yeah, it's definitely Morris's handwriting." So then I, so that was, oh well, that's quite cool. I've got a postcard from Morrissey. <laughs> uh, I, I was telling people, and then. A few weeks later, Morrissey was in the press saying, oh, and now David Gedge is saying he's got a postcard from me, which he has, you know, I, I know he's had a postcard. So I was like, okay, well, you know, so, so yeah, so now I don't know whether it was him or whether it wasn't him or, or not really, but... Uh, Did you, was, have you have you not got the postcard either? I have got mine now. Uh, I'm wondering no, whether these postcards were like Mission Impossible and they self-destructed after the period of time. <laughs> I have no idea what happened to my well, it was Invisible Ink or something like that. It was just <laughs> I've got a blank postcard that might have been from. <laughs> so was yours a Morrissey picture on the front as well? Uh, there were, there were pictures. No, there were, I think there, were different, there was a couple of different ones. I don't think he sent me any pictures of them. Of himself. If, if, you ever, done, if you ever wants to send him one back, Brian, we do have our own uh, <laughs> Life with Brian <laughs> postcards, which I'm hold, holding up now yeah. for everyone to see. So Makes you, it. Well, if, maybe, yeah. If you've still I'll, got that address uh, in Altrick, I mean, if he's still yeah, I don't, I don't know where it is now. No, I'm sure that I'm sure it'll be on the internet somewhere, though. <laughs> I'm sure Pat Nevin will probably know. Yeah, and Pat's probably standing outside there now. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? Uh, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you went to South Africa as a child for a period of time. Mm. For, yeah, for a year. Was, what was that like? Can you remember? Uh, it's, uh, it's, a fun, it's an interesting link. Is that because of Morrissey? No, 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 no. Because obviously these days Morrissey's uh, his political views are probably suspect in some uh, No, they are suspect. They're not probably. 
Yeah, but uh, no, we, yeah, my parents emigrated when we when I was about ten, I think, uh, nineteen seventy. So uh, and we lived there for a year, and then they they came back. And it was it was very, it was a strange experience because actually for a kid it was great because you know we it was a nice climate. Uh, I think the schools finished at two p.m., so you you were out, and I was on the beach every day reading comics. You know, it was it was a brilliant. And kind of completely unaware of apartheid because because we lived in a white area. So the only time we saw people who weren't white it was it was shop assistants or you know refuse collectors or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> so I wasn't really aware of the whole thing. It was kind of you know you you kind of you know was aware of it, but but it wasn't in in the day to day kind of life that that we led really. So it, it was only after I came back that I, I felt like you know. I actually joined the anti-apartheid movement when I came back, you know, when we when I went to university because obviously it was a terrible situation. I suppose I should have suspected because my dad was just like a normal butcher, you know, we, we were just a normal working class family in Manchester. And then we went to South Africa, and suddenly he got a better job, and you know, he was he was the head of a, a factory or something. Uh, presumably, purely because he was white, really, because you know they wanted. You know, white people to to be the administrative classes, if you like. Uh, so yeah, it was an interesting period. It was uh, I've written a lot about it in my autobiography, actually, because it was uh, it was a it was a fascinating time. Yeah, with regards to the comics you're reading, was there still the dandy or the beano? My grand my grandmother used to send me out British comics uh, every every month. <laughs> Must have cost her a fortune. But uh, that, yeah, the bust, Buster it was, and I can't remember the names of them now. Call Wizard, Buster, Dandy, Beano. Dandy and Beano. But I was actually, that's where I discovered American comics, actually. It was because there's a little uh, bookshop there in town where we lived, and they had a, a supply of uh, like Marvel and DC comics. So that's where I got into uh, Superman and all that, kind of, all that stuff, all that rubbish. <laughs> Well, it's not rubbish, is it? Because I mean, it's made it was, it was very entertaining. Yeah, to, to look at it and read that, and then you get on. It's a huge industry now. The uh, well, there was, a, there well, was a, even for certainly you can get your own memoir and comic book form now. Yeah. I know you've been doing that sort of stuff for a while, but you've actually put it together as a like a book now, haven't you? Yeah, no, I love comics. Uh, in fact, there was a massive argument when we came back from South Africa because I'd. I'd acquired this collection by then, and my dad was saying, you know, "We're not paying for you to, you know, because obviously it's expensive. It's it's by the weight of the." But you know, I was I was gutted because I was like, "Well, you know, we're just going to throw them away." And then, no, but we want to take them all the way home to England. And and they did in the end. They relented. <laughs> I, don't know. I must have been so upset that they let me have them. But uh, yeah, so I've, I I love, I've always loved comics. I've always loved uh, graphic novels and. Uh, and now I'm in one. Hey. Yeah. Oh, that's insane, yeah. <laughs> so that was good. Tell us about that, Dave. What, what's that? that well, it's just because we... Uh, how did it start? Oh, that was it. Yeah, so our old bass player, Terry DeCastro, she was in Cinerama, actually, and then she's in The Wedding Present. And she wanted to write my biography from the point of view of kind of meeting me, joining the band, and then kind of interviewing me. Uh, and so we did, you know, we did it for a while, and, and she acquired all this this stuff, this, this uh, you know, text basically, and she interviewed my parents and all these, all these kind of things. But then, I don't know, it, just, it didn't feel right somehow. And, and the best bits of it we felt were that, you know, because you'd always wanted to in include some comic kind of references in there. And we thought they were the best bits. And we just thought, well, let's do the whole thing as a comic book. <laughs> and uh, I've got a friend called Lee Thacker, who's a, He's a, he, well, he was a teacher, he's retired now, but he's a comic book artist. And I just said, do you want to draw these comics, you know, th these stories, if, if I send you the text? And uh, he said, yes. And so we, a few years ago, we started doing a, like a little comic every, every now and again when we'd acquired enough stories. And we did it, we've done it for about, I don't know, six, seven years, and then we decided we'd compile them. And so it's the first volume came out last year and it's, uh, it's in chronological order now. So it starts off from me being born up to the, I think probably the, the formation of the group and the first few singles. 
so it covers the, the South Africa time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so it's just a it's my autobiography and comic book form basically. There you go, Brian. When you're an highly anticipated, uh, I've been in the comic. Comes out. I've been a comic book character. You have in a fanzine, yeah. Oh, my, yeah. One of the United fanzines when I had a talking stomach. Oh, of course, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was delighted to have kept, I've only, I think I've only got one of those, um, I think it was Red Issue, it was the fanzine, uh, and uh, yeah, there was a, there's a little, only very, very basic, but, but tells us the actual story quite amusingly, you know, so, um, I can't remember, but I know it's a talking stomach anyway, so, that was partly that I was, had a healthy appetite, you know, because of what I looked like, you know, which wasn't quite the, yeah, but I've I enjoyed it uh, as, as I'd like to have uh, several more so if anybody else has got any other versions out there they can post maybe there was only one I don't know <laughs> there only was one but no yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I've always liked a similar idea that uh, in the, um, in the, the when I had the testimonial the testimonial programme had a, had a comic in the middle of it as a, as part of that kind of thing, telling a little story about me as well. It was uh, illustrated by Tony Husband. So, I, well, I love it because I send you know I send these words, text, you know, the, the story. Me and Terry kind of write together and send it to Lee, and then it comes back in. The, he's done his first pencil, and it's it's brilliant to see it. You know how it's evolved from just a few words on the page to this this kind of work of art, basically. You know. Right. And it's, uh, it's like a song, you know, you kind of write like elements of a song, you come up with the words and a few chords, and then when it all comes together with the band and it becomes a record, it's it becomes more than some of the parts in a way. So it's uh yeah, I love yeah, I love doing it. Do you still recommend American murder ballads to drive to? <laughs> Interesting <laughs> series of questions. I yeah, I do, I do. I'll, I'll, uh, yeah, I'm going to go and get that then. My, my girlfriend got me uh, a double. Uh, it's a double CD, I think. And, uh, yeah, they're great. I love them. Right, I'm going to go and get that. I'm going to do a bit more driving there. <laughs> okay, uh, something for a bit of fun now, David. Um, we'd like you to pick your fantasy five-a-side football team. And Chucky, we want you to choose your fantasy five-piece band uh, and feel free to advise each other or critique each other's selections. Uh, David, you're our guest. So would you like to go first? Uh, so what's the criterion? The criterion well, for this then? Anybody you like, but you've got to have a goalkeeper. So you, okay. I'm not picking, I'm picking music, aren't I? Yeah. Right. I'll have John Bonham on drums. Is that, is that okay. like the equivalent of the goalkeeper? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alex Stepney. Oh, nice, nice one. I'll have David Lewis Gage as my front man singer. Oh, well, in that case, I've got to have... No, you don't have to have me at all. No, <laughs> you've got to be brave. No, no, you've got to go for some... <laughs> I've got to end first. You've got to... <laughs> well, it wouldn't be a bad... Five aside player, I'd say, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Decent in midfield, can oh, the goal is. Yeah. yeah. So that's a drummer and the goalkeeper, and you both got you both picked an outfield player. Uh, well, I'm gonna say, I've got to go say George Best, haven't I? Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. good one. I would have uh, Manny on base. Of course, mm. friend of the show. I've got a drummer and I've got two more, haven't I? I've got rhythm and lead guitar, is that there? Yeah. That's mm -hmm. correct. If you want to go down that route, you might want to have a triangle player or a, a saxophonist. <laughs> saxophonist. There's no rules, is there? Yeah. There's no rules. I haven't said that. Yeah, you're talking about having no rules. You know, a little story about the, your, your Ukrainian folk songs, which is around about 89, 90 or something like that as well. I, I, I used to play that in the car. When we used to car share, me, Jim Layton, Gary Palliston and I, and whoever was driving, it was their car, so they were entitled to play whatever music they were playing. Jim would always simply yeah. read. Like, they wouldn't change it. They don't change the CD or whatever. never change it. Simply read. And Pally must have had uh, Sting's first um, first album. Um, and it must, it must have been in the car for three years. Never changed it. Single CD player. And this was the only thing that would play. So I used to mix it up all the time. I'd put things on. I used to think my music, tasting music was weird anyway, but it was even weirder when I was playing um, 
And they were like, where the, where the fuck do you get these things from? I said, this is a, this is a really popular, these are really, this is the indie bands, you know, and they're like, no, we're not. If I'm, from Leeds, record, if I'm Leeds, I'm telling you, no, no, this is rubbish. <laughs> but uh, when you play it, what, what it reminds me of, and I, one of the reasons I listened to it, I really liked it was, it, music comes from different places, but music like that, Reminds me very much of when you were playing, like the Pogues. I love the Pogues for the same kind of thing, playing things fast. So it was that kind yeah. of punk idea, isn't it? That play it fast and it's exciting. You know, be that great about playing about the energy and that. And I loved. <laughs> I just love the idea that you've just done George Best, which was brilliant in the album, and then now you're playing, uh, which I think was at the behest of Peely as well, wasn't it? Because uh, yeah, well, it was. It was. Know, it was so we did like them sessions. Yeah, I mean, we've got for me that to play that, you know, and then going thinking I'd even I was even madder than they thought. Was that your way of getting out of driving to training? No, because they were still very tight when it came to that. Was even though we had to suffer with each other's music, we were quite happy to still share share the trip there back, you know, so of a of a day, you know, so. Yeah. Okay, so we're still we're still waiting on two more additions here. Yeah, I'll have uh, David is I'll have George Harrison. Okay, so we've got still got two outfield players for you, David. Uh, Pele. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. just gonna make a good yeah. team. This is a hell of a team. <laughs> yeah, well, I might as well. Why not? Uh, yeah. So that you got one left each, Brian. You've got a. I'm a going for David Gilmore. Oh, okay. Well. So line up that. And one left for David. I mean, you've got Pele, you've got George Best, you've got Brian McClare, yeah, you've got yeah. Alex Stepney. Uh, I mean, who's, who's missing there? Well, I should go for someone a bit more contemporary. These are all old players, aren't they, at the moment? You know. <laughs> 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 to say like that. Uh, Retro, oh. I think, is the kind way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, oh, Bruno Fernandes, let's say that. Right, yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah. Two brilliant lineups there. A bit random, mine, I'm afraid. Yeah, well, that's how we like it. McClare's mailbag. McClare's mailbag. McClare's mailbag. Another delivery of questions has arrived via the hashtag AskChockey. Matthew, if you please. Yes, uh, and here's an interesting one for David from uh, Chris Etchingham to kick us off this week. And he says, is it true that Courtney Love smacked you in the face backstage at the Reading Festival? Kind of, yeah. She, she basically, I uh, can't remember what year it was, but I don't know if we even played there or whether I was just there as a, as a fan, but I think she was there. And... Uh, because I remember seeing her across the kind of you know the the area the backstage area and saying I can't love over there and I thought like, I've got to go and say hello because I used to love the band the band Hold that she was her band basically and so I went up and uh, introduced myself oh no that was it Everett True the enemy writer was there so I got him to because I'm I'm rubbish at kind of going up to people and saying anything so I got him to introduce me to her and she said oh yeah did, didn't you work with uh, Steve Albini. And I said, yeah, yeah, he, he just recorded our album, Sea Monsters, for me. And uh, so, yeah, she kind of slapped me across the face and said, yeah, I can't remember something like you're a naughty boy or something. I think she, it, at the time, she was having this beef with Albini. There's an ongoing argument between them. And uh, so she kind of saw me as on his side, I guess. So uh, she didn't like that. But... Uh, yeah, so that's yeah, so a true story. Yeah, <laughs> did happen. Did it hurt? Did it hurt? Can't remember it hurting. It was a, pl a playful slap. A playful slap. That's fair enough. Okay. Um, this question comes from uh, Mark's mate Paul, actually, and it's to both of you. It says, "What are your favourite football songs or references to football in a song?" Favourite football songs. My favourite football song is a band called The Hitchers. And it's called, uh, the song's called Gordon Strachan. It's a brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> I need to look at that one. Yeah, I think it's definitely one for your playlist, Brian. Uh, I mean, as as much as to, my favourite song that involves music, because it's such a good song, but I would refuse to admit it at the time, is World in Motion. 
Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're never going to be allowed back in Scotland after that. Uh, that was me. I always thought you were going to have on the march with Ali's army or, or whatever it was. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, I'll give you that one. I mean, I think World in Motion, I think you've got to agree, it's just a great pop song. Well, it? that's a problem, you know, because I remember talking to the same thing, Brian Robson still about things, but I'm telling you, this is fantastic, the wonderful record you've got here. It's going to be a massive hit. And again, looking at it going, we have no idea who these people are, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that tickled me as well, you know. That's that thing, like brilliant, yeah, you know. So. No, we'll give you that one, World Emotion. And, and on the back of that one, I'm just thinking, David, have you ever been tempted to write a, a football song or write a song about football or, you know, a World Cup theme or, or anything? I haven't, actually, no. That's a very good question. It's never occurred to me to do that. <laughs> I mean, they are, by and large, terrible, aren't they, usually? Mm. Maybe that's what's put me off. But uh, Although I, I really like the the, the, uh, Eric, the Ian Brody one, the, the Lightning Seeds one. The, the, yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone likes that. Only it's, it's become a, a standard now to play every every time, every tournament. I think that's a, that's a, that's a, another great pop song. I suppose it could be quite lucrative, a bit like writing a Christmas hit, couldn't it? I mean, if you time it right and you get it. Yeah, you know. but the, the, I liked the working title of that song better. What was the working title? It was, it was Three Lambs on Their Chest. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> right, we can't conclude the mailbag without something from our old mate, Cumbrian Dave, uh, can we? I mean, well, no, we can't, can we? Um, and he asked you both, which bands are you currently listening to and enjoying at the moment? Well... I find it quite difficult because a lot of kind of new bands always sound like old bands to me, but, but but not quite as good. You know, I think there's a, I've said this a few times now, but I think there's, there's kind of a, I feel like we've come as far as we can go with drums, bass and guitars. So whatever band I hear always sounds like a 70s punk band or or the Pixies or, you know, a disco band or, you know, it's, it's it, it never feels like, you know, the first time I heard the Pixies, it's, it felt like something completely new and original. I don't hear that anymore. Apart from one band, uh, from Brighton, funnily enough, well, I didn't know that at the time. They're called Black Midi. And I saw them, we played at a festival in Barcelona with them. And uh, they blew me away. I thought they were great. It was, it was the first time for years where I've, I watched a band where I didn't quite know what, what was going on, you know, where it was going to. And quite surprising. So, you know, they're not the most... Uh, Commercial sounding band, but I think they're they're brilliant. What about you, Brian? My, well, again, I find myself going backwards more often than not. Uh, and I was just this morning, I took out of my um, friend's uh, son's CD collection. Who's he's into a lot of um, a lot of metal stuff, so a lot of stuff I'd never heard of. Uh, and I took out. Uh, my bloody Valentine opened the case. It was no CD in it, <laughs> but the one that I did have a CD in it was uh, uh, Pablo Honey. So oh, classic! I put that. That was what I was listening to. Is my driving uh, CD this morning. Oh. I mean, I heard that on the radio yesterday. They were playing on um, uh, Steve Lamarck plays a an album right through, and they're playing Kid A. And uh, I've always found that really difficult to listen to. Although there was, there was one or two, so you thought me in the car and you listened to it. But when I saw this one, I thought, oh, I'll go, I'll have a little listen to that again. It's uh, which first got me into to Radiohead, you know, and how good it was as a as a first album. Okay, gents, uh, that's brought us to the end of the episode. Uh, David, it's been great having you on with us to chat music and some football. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. And um, please tell us where we can find uh, the tour details for tickets, etc., and, and also where to look out for the new music and the you know the, the twelve singles for twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's it's mostly on our website, really. That's where we put everything. In. Uh, it's just the weddingpresent.co.uk. Brilliant, uh, Brian Matthew. Thanks to you both. No problem. Thank you very much. Uh, and of course, thanks to you out there for listening. Uh, we're back again soon. So keep an eye on our Twitter, which is at Brian McClare pod for details. And of course, subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. Bye for now. Life with Brian. Talking films or music. Life with Brian. Talking TV and food. Life with Brian. Talking trivia and exercise. Life with Brian. Different every episode
Sports Social Podcast Network.